Thank you for listening to podcasts from the Anglican Church Noosa. This is the third in our series on the Exodus, Let My People Go. The topic today is the Passover and the preacher is the Reverend Brad Henley. Firstly, reading a selection of verses from Exodus chapter 12 beginning at verse 1, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 66. So we're starting at Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you must take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire, with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. From verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Egypt and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Verse 29. At midnight... The Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. 
Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and all the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. From verse 37. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There are about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's division left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honour the Lord for the generations to come. A reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 to 29, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1151. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you today and to join you on this Exodus journey. Um, We've had a bit of a build-up, haven't we, over the last few weeks, uh, watching as God appeared to Moses at the burning bush and as he uh, directed Moses into joining God on his mission uh, to set his people free. And so today, after some weeks of build-up, we reach the precipice. Bear in mind, as we heard, that for Egypt and the Israelites, there was 400 years of build-up, plus the weeks and the months of, of warnings, of plagues, of opportunities to repent, of more warnings and then the devastating, stinking, scary, painful plagues. The battle between the true God and the so-called gods of Egypt 
was taking its toll on Pharaoh. Also on the livestock and the crops and the morale of the Egyptian people. Each of the plagues that we hear about in the preceding chapters and that we heard about last week uh, were a direct challenge to the gods of Egypt. Their so-called gods were revealed to be powerless and impotent. They are nothing. And today, at the grand conclusion of the battle, the Pharaoh himself is shown to be powerless. Now, Pharaoh was seen to be a descendant of the God of the Sun, and he was viewed as divine himself. The Pharaoh was seen as all-powerful in his position, not least of all by himself. You see, in general, what he said happened. If he demanded it, then it occurred. Pharaoh had not only his own people at his beck and call, but he had hundreds and thousands of Israelite slaves and others to do his will. In fact, the backbone of his country's economy was on the slaves. And so Pharaoh was heavily invested in keeping them, in maintaining his position and his power and authority. So he wanted to show also that the gods of Egypt were able to stand against the god of his slaves. So this final confrontation is the culmination of an enormous build-up of tension. It had begun when they enslaved the Israelites and then Pharaoh had killed the babies of Israel in the Nile River. After this, God warned that the firstborn sons of Egypt would also die if Pharaoh did not let God's people go. Exodus 12 tells us two stories at once. It tells the story of the Israelites being passed over during God's judgment on the firstborn sons of Egypt. And it also gives the instructions for commemorating that Passover year after year. And that's why we kind of skip through various verses. Uh, We would like to do the lot, but in this series, we're focusing more on the actual Passover and not so much the instructions for commemorating it each year. Well, we saw last week during the plagues that God is abundantly patient and merciful. God gives the option and keeps it available for Pharaoh to repent He's made that offer again and again and again. Even after Pharaoh hardened his own heart against God a number of times, God sent more wake-up calls after sobering wake-up calls in the hope that Pharaoh might make a good choice and turn from his evil ways. When we look at this interaction, we can be humbled and we can be grateful that God left the door open long enough for us to repent and to find forgiveness in him. A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said, every ransomed man owes his salvation to the fact that during the days of his sinning, God kept the door of mercy open by refusing to accept any of his evil acts as final. Excusing the archaic language, that door is open for all of us. And so I thank God that he didn't count my rebellion and sin and yours as your position against him for eternity. 
Thank God that he somehow brought us or is bringing us to see his mercy, his love and forgiveness and to repent and to rejoice in him. However, in this account, there comes a point when God won't put up with it any longer. Pharaoh crosses this line and stubbornly continues fighting against God. And today we see the results of Pharaoh's stubbornness. It was foreshadowed in Exodus chapter 4 when God told Moses what to say to Pharaoh. And he said, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refused to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. So after the nine plagues leading up to this, that demonstrated the lack of power and life in Egypt's gods, God comes to prepare his people for the final plague. In this plague, God is active, like in the other plagues, but even more so. And this plague shows God actively ending the lives of those who stubbornly refuse to let his people go, for those who enslaved his people and were stuck in their hard-hearted ways. And so we pick up the action when God instructs Moses and Aaron to get his people ready. In verse 3, it says, Tell the whole community of Israel, in my paraphrase, that on the tenth day of this month, they are to get enough lambs to sacrifice so that everyone can eat a good protein meal. Now, did anyone notice how long the lamb is to stay alive in their homes? From day 10 to 14. Coming from Kangaroo Island a couple of years ago, I saw this as an annual feature in many farming families. Most years, there's a a few new lambs who become separated from their mothers. And the mother may have died, or in the flock of sheep, the lamb has simply become separated from its mum. Well, without the mum to provide milk, the lamb will die because they aren't up to eating the grass or the grain yet. And so the farming family, if they find this little lost sheep, will adopt this lamb into their family. They'll bottle feed it. And the intention is that in a few weeks, cute little Lambert will be ready to eat grass so he can go and join the flock. But I've already made the first mistake, haven't I? I named it Little Lambert. And once you've named it, once you've bottle fed it, once you've bounced around the yard with it for a bit and patted it, petted it, it becomes a pet. Usually the kids will form a bond with it too. And then when it's eight to ten weeks old and it should be back out with the flock again, it's, it's kind of hard to say goodbye. And a year later, when it's time to send it to the market, you might end up with some very sad children. So isn't it peculiar that God asked the Israelites to select a lamb and bring it into their homes and take care of it for four days? You know, form a bond with it. Take this little lamb in, make it part of your family. And then on the 14th day at twilight, you are to slaughter it. When you need to sacrifice little Lambert, who's one of the family, you understand the meaning of sacrifice a lot better. If you've got no connection with this animal, you don't feel its importance. And the weight of the sacrifice, you don't feel anywhere near as much. 
So welcoming Lambert into the family, taking care of him and, and then sacrificing him to save your family helps you to understand what Jesus has done for you a little more. See, for those of us who love Jesus, it breaks our hearts to see him dying on the cross for us. But this is his great love for us, providing a way for God to save us. At Parish Council on Wednesday, Don Turkington read a beautiful, inspiring passage from Romans 19. It says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The wedding of the Lamb has come. If it was me writing scripture, I think I would have given up with this image of Jesus as the Lamb of God. And I would have talked about the, the wedding of the Son of God with his bride, the church. I would have disposed of this imagery and moved to the reality. But it's very interesting that this image of the Lamb has so much staying power. It's an image of Jesus that goes very deep. In our reading from Exodus, we see one of the first instances of talking about the lambs, the Lamb of God. And prior to this, there was the time when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain, saying, where, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And the answer was, God will provide the lamb. But going back even further, when Adam and Eve sinned, and they covered themselves with those terribly inadequate, itchy fig leaves... I strongly suspect that the skin by which God clothed Adam and Eve was a lamb that was sacrificed. That's my suspicion, not scriptural truth. But the scriptural truth is that a sacrifice was made to cover Adam and Eve with garments made of skin. The image of the lamb carried through when John the Baptist first pointed to Jesus and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John may well have described Jesus using many different words. He could have said, here is the great I am. Here is the son of God. Here is the light of the world. But he chose to say, behold, the lamb of God, the sacrifice of God. And after the Exodus families identified with little Lambert and then made the sacrifice, painting the blood on the door frames, then that very same sacrifice provided them with the energy, the protein to sustain them through their escape from slavery. Jesus is the sacrifice who sets us free from slavery to sin and Jesus is the one who sustains us on our journey to the new creation. We feed ourselves on him. We commune with him in worship in Bible reading, in prayer. And when we eat the Lord's Supper together, sharing in communion. Just like that blood of the lamb dripping down from the wooden door frames of the houses, providing them with protection during the final plague, the blood of the lamb of God, Jesus, dripped down that wooden frame of the cross. And he provides us with protection. And he sustains us for our journey. That dreadful night in Egypt, 
Someone died in every home. And it was either a lamb or a firstborn son. The lamb was a substitute for the firstborn son. And all the homes that had the sacrifice made were passed over. They were protected under the blood of the lamb. And so the Passover tells us that that God is holy, that his judgment is for justice and for liberating his people, and that salvation is possible for anyone. It's incredibly freeing when we think about the people in those homes where the blood was painted over the door frames. Their performance their personal righteousness or sinfulness, their holiness or lack thereof didn't make any difference. Imagine the people in one of those homes, uh, they could be in there shaking in their boots, stressed and afraid all night long. Or in another home, they could be soundly asleep, trusting completely in the word of God through Moses. They could be the most troublesome, rebellious people who, in most instances, went against God's teaching through Moses, but who, for whatever reason, chose to paint this blood on their doorframe. Or they could be the most upstanding, obedient, attentive, law-abiding people around. Whatever their state of faith or fear, rebellion and sin, if they are covered by the blood of the Lamb, they were saved. They were passed over in God's judgment. They were spared not by their own righteousness, but by a substitute who died in their place. And the same is true for us today. We are spared not by our own righteousness, but by Jesus who graciously gave himself and died in our place. But how does that sit with you? How do you feel about a holy God who put the firstborn of Egypt to death. How could a good God do this? Well, if you read the Exodus closely, you see that it wasn't just Pharaoh who treated the Israelites um, in slavery with cruelty. The Egyptians themselves were cruel and unkind to their slaves. The slaves were whipped and beaten. They were given harsh work conditions and never shown any reprieve. In addition, it's a little bit helpful to look more closely at plague number seven. God warned the Egyptians that tomorrow he would cause very severe hail to rain down. In chapter 9, verse 19, give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. And then the response in verse 20, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and their livestock in the field. See, after God's warning, everyone had the choice. Everyone had the opportunity to find shelter. Some took heed and some did not. See, time and time again, the Egyptians and the Pharaoh had ample warning to change their ways and they would be spared of this trouble. Time and time again, Pharaoh hardened his heart and eventually God confirmed his hard heart 
strengthening Pharaoh in the direction that he had chosen. So finally, I do want to point out who actually escaped from Egypt. And it's not just the Israelites who made the journey. If you heard in chapter 12, verse 38, it's very interesting. It says, many other people went up with them. Who were these people? Slaves from other nations? Egyptians who were sick of Pharaoh and his hard-hearted determination to see them suffering or slaughtered? It's not clear. These may have been the same people who heeded God's warning before the hail who brought their livestock and servants into the house to find shelter. It may have been people who caught on to what the Israelites were doing and also made a sacrifice of a lamb, painting their doorposts and being kept safe. Or it may even have been some people who on that dreadful night lost a firstborn son. And that was enough to wake them up, to make them see That the true God is a good God who demands justice, but who also shows uh, grace, mercy and forgiveness. So maybe they began following him after the 10th plague. But whichever way it happened, there are people who are included in God's redemption plan from within the Israelite community and from outside. See, our God is incredibly gracious and merciful. And I hope that you've seen in the last few weeks that God gives abundant opportunities to find forgiveness for turning away from sin and receiving forgiveness and freedom and life in him. Even to the worst, most evil person in the world, to Pharaoh, God gave sign after sign, warning after warning, opportunity after opportunity to repent. And today, this gracious God wants to show you his love. He wants to give you the opportunity to turn to him, to find shelter under the blood of the Lamb in Jesus. So the choice is ours. Do we accept Jesus' love, his sacrifice of his life for us as a substitute in our place? I pray that you do. And so may our sovereign God soften hard hearts, bring evil to justice and continue being patient so that many more people will come to know him. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you're a God who who doesn't just put up with evil, but you bring justice. But Lord, we also know that that line dividing good and evil runs right through our own hearts. Lord, we know that we turn from you. We don't always love you and our neighbours as we should. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you came to be the substitute, the sacrifice on our behalf so that we can stand before you forgiven and free. Jesus, work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Draw us close to you. Help us to take shelter under the blood of the Lamb of God. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
the Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.